The DeFalco Files is an entertainment-based program. Some memories of certain events might be fuzzy. All opinions are that of the host. Content might not be appropriate for children and some adults. Listener discretion is advised. And remember, the truth is here. Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting presents The DeFalco Files with FSW owner Joe DeFalco and your host, Matt Michaels. Hey everybody, it's Matt Michaels here on The DeFalco Files with the owner and creator of FSW here in Las Vegas, Future Stars of Wrestling, Joe DeFalco. How you doing, Joe? Oh, much better. You know, I was uh, looking uh, to have, uh, I was told, Remy Marcel on, but now at least I know I'll be able to talk a lot since he's not here. And it looks like Remy will be with us next week, so um, you'll get kind of a, a uh, day off next week uh, where you don't have to yeah, use I'll just call. Yeah, I'll just call in sick. <laughs> um, let Is- me... I, I think he's still recovering from the skewers in his head from Atticus at the uh, GCW show last week. <laughs> oh, man. You know, um, uh, what you, you should have done is uh, had flyers ready and just stab it down so he had a stack of flyers he could just pull off his head and hand to people. Um, you know, speaking of uh, talented guys that you've had at FSW, like Remy, um, we know that there's been a little bit of a pipeline to WWE. Um, it's been a loose kept secret, I guess. I mean, it, there was no real secret. Everyone had the suspicions about it, but uh, we officially learned that Sefa Fatu is now going to be in the WWE NXT uh, Performance Center training. Um, what are your thoughts, man, on um, Sefa's journey? Because Sefa started here in 2018, and uh, look, in three years' time of wrestling, he's already made his way to NXT, and he's got the bloodline. So it, it could be a very quick rise for him uh, straight up to the main roster. Well, for years, you know, uh, it started with a Facebook message from his dad, Rikishi. You know, and I had talked to Rikishi on and off on Facebook about certain things here and there, you know, nothing major. Uh, But he asked to give me a call. And I took the call and he was like, hey, you know, I need you to do me a favor. You know, my son, because he had some training, but he didn't really have a lot of training down in Knox Pro. And he lived in Vegas. And, you know, we took him in. We gave him, you know, the bargain basement rate, which was pretty much nothing. And, and, you know, he paid a couple bucks early on, you know, he, he, you know, he wanted to feel like, Hey, you know, I don't want stuff given to me for nothing, you know, and Sefa came along and you wouldn't know he really had nothing under his belt. You know, he quickly, you know, got put into position. We gave him a match. He looked good. All of a sudden he started getting over and in a matter of no time, we actually pulled the trigger for him to uh, win the Nevada State Championship. And when that process was being made, you know, Rikishi offered to come in, sign some autographs. And I always jokingly say, you know, I'm the only guy who got Rikishi for free, you know. 
came in and he sold his merch and did whatever. All, you know, all I had to do was he asked if I could get him a hotel room at Samstown. And of course, you know, having Rikishi there, you know, that's a big plus. Yeah. You know, always get surprises trying to do things. Uh, you know, Sefa was already getting cheered. So it was kind of the setup. Well, he was being managed by Sally to uh, do the turn. And, you know, Sefa ended up doing the turn after he won the match. Sally got the stink face from Rikishi. So, you know, that's a moment he'll remember for the rest of his life. Uh, but the one thing I remember was sitting on commentary and after Graves lost, you know, he kind of stayed on the outside. And I'm thinking, like, what is this guy doing? You know, I was like, why, you know, why didn't he go to the back? And he really try, you know, did his best to really give that extra rub to Sefa. Not that he needed a rub because, you know, with Rikishi and the crowd wanted to cheer him and they liked him as much as they loved Graves. Sefa was the, the new, the new hot thing. He was the new hot commodity. And, you know, between the segment and Rikishi talking Graves basically sat on one knee outside the ring for maybe 15 minutes. And after it was all said and done, got in the ring, you know, and, and gave Sefa the respect handshake, which, you know, was, was an added plus, you know, to the situation. And, you know, at that day we knew a star was born. Um, when you think of uh, his journey in terms of, you know, quickly adapting and learning and, you know, like you said, he, he didn't look uh, very green as compared to some of the new guys uh, with very little time under their belt. Yeah, like that Chris Bay kid, you know what I mean? It was like, you know, it was pulling teeth with him. Yeah. Compared to- yeah. Um, and, and I don't know, did Chris Bay kid, uh, he, I don't know where he is now, right? He's, he didn't go anywhere, right? Uh, uh, yeah, no, no, nowhere that I'm aware of. You know, we're bringing him back for a special match uh, this Friday night, as a matter of fact. Oh, no, you're going to have him lose to Jody? Uh, never. <laughs> uh, and we'll get to this Friday night in a second. Um, what I do want to know is how impressed were you with the way Sefa, um, when he started focusing and started to excel you could see that he was going through um a development in his body too could you tell that that motivation was there at that point that he was working out enough and getting enough experience in the ring that he was preparing himself for that next level uh as compared to some guys who might have the ring talent but they're not busting their ass in the gym they're not trying to um you know, prepare their instrument, their tool for a professional career. Well, you know, you can look at it two different ways. One way you look at it is, you know, he's kind of gifted in. He's got the Usos already there. Rikishi's his father. You know, he's, you know, he can get signed kind of like whenever he wants is, is the perception of other people. And the truth of the matter is, you know, he had to work his ass off to get ready for that opportunity, you know, and, you know, he's always done good business with us. You know, for a little while, I was always complaining like, Hey, you need to be in the gym more. You need to be in the gym more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which I say 
about a lot of these guys. And when I mean the gym, I mean the wrestling ring gym not working out, yeah. you know. He aligned himself with good people like, you know, Chris Bay and Hero and Shogun and, you know, Ice. And it was mainly the upper echelon guys of FSW. And it's kind of like the old the old days when I always heard the story from the Godfather, you know, about the pack that those guys had. And it was the Godfather and Undertaker and Yokozuna and Rikishi and Bradshaw and Simmons. You know, they, they kind of ran together. You yeah. know, they have a name for them. I forgot what it is. So the, B, the BSK, the Bone... I think it's the Bone Skull Club or something like that, but it's BSK. Something like that. Yeah, and, you know, when you're with people that can push you because, you know, there's a lot of competition there. Chris Bay wants to be the best. Sefa wants to be the best, you know, and those other guys are fighting. The the, the Shogun, Hero, Ice, they, they, they were that new crop, you know, that, that are trying to, to – to be those next guys that get, you know, a poster on the wall. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, Sefa never mailed it in. You know, he, he worked hard, you know, when he got those matches, you know. And like I said, he always did good business with us. We always had a great relationship, you know. Even when it came to money sometimes where it was kind of like, hey, you know, this is what I can do, you know. And again... A lot of these guys can go out there and get a little bit more money, but they're also thankful of the opportunities that I gave them. So, you know, we reached a happy medium. And, you know, I remember before the pandemic, we, we had the Mecca show and uh, we weren't able to have the match. Uh, Willie Mack was supposed to have against uh, uh, Pillman Jr. And there was the convention going on that we had done the show the night before. And Sefa was there signing some pictures. And, you know, we made a quick deal for him to wrestle Willie Mack in the first round of the tournament. And it may have been one of the – and it not may have been, it was one of the best two or three matches on that card. Yeah. And, you know, once the pandemic ended and things started getting back, Sefa wanted to get back in the mix. And, you know, we were able to have some uh, good fun with Sefa and Bay and teaming and, and – we had a we had a good little last run, you know. Unfortunately, you know, he never got the heavyweight championship that that would have been in the cards. Yeah. But we knew it was up, and you know, we knew we knew his time with us was uh, going to be coming to an end sooner than later. Yeah, and it's remarkable now if you think about, I. I guess you can call NXT FSW East, right? Uh, that would be West. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. FSW would be NXT West. Wait. wait. Yeah. Oh, FX. Yeah, yeah. Or NXT is NX, FSW East. Well, Stuff there you like go. Yeah. You, you can't do that. <laughs> um, and uh, are you uh, are you looking for the kickback uh, checks from uh, Vince McMahon at any point here? <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to them. I know I'll never see them. <laughs> But you know, I'd love, I'd love just one. <laughs> uh, well, hey man, if you keep, uh, if you keep producing the talent that you're producing here in Las Vegas, there's a good chance that uh, at some point that uh, video library will become so valuable that uh, 
you might get a, a nice offer. Well, you know, hopefully uh, Zoe Stark becomes the uh, Raw Women's Champion and beats Charlotte Flair. And then, of course, Charlotte wins it back for a week or two for her 27th reign. But, you know, maybe they need uh, to do a video montage, a thing of uh, Karrion Cross. you know, call it before the mask. You know what I mean? And, you know, when, when he was a dominant fella. And, and you know, and, and maybe Sefa with that bloodline, you know, we're assuming he's going to NXT and whether he appears soon or not through the performance center, but man, you know, there's a ready made storyline for him to be added, yeah. you know, to the bloodline, you know, if I'm writing, you know, maybe there's some turmoil in the bloodline and, you know, maybe it's the NWO Wolfpack. Yeah of the nwo and now you got the two groups and they're kind of feuding within i was really maybe snooka jr's coming back for a uh, maybe they're gonna bring deuce back have deuce and tamina and nia jacks all part of it and there you go i literally that it's it's remarkable to think you know not only are all those people that we mentioned but you also have the rock's daughter down there and you have The Rock. I mean, it's it's remarkable how many people right now through that bloodline. And you still got uh, Jacob Fatu out there. There are so many people that you could literally have, uh, you know, almost your own show just with those people representing. Um, you know, almost like NWO was trying to do with the idea of making a separate company. Um let me ask you that we got coming up here um, September 3rd, which is uh, right around the corner. Uh, it's a high octane show at 7 p.m. Right now, what are the uh, matches that you have announced for that show? For Friday, you said? Yeah. Uh, offhand, well, we just got the poster. We're going to put that out. So when you watch this, it's already going to be out. But uh, Sin Bodhi is going to go one-on-one with Matt Vandegrift. Ooh. We just added that. Uh, Adrian Quest is going to wrestle Thomas Day. Right. Which, you know, is a break-off of the six-man tag from a few weeks ago, which also leads to the to Death Proof defending against Los Suavecitos. You know? <laughs> and as we said... Uh, Chris Bay and Watson in a lumberjack match where Watson's lumberjacks are the faction since you can't stop them from coming out. Bay will also have his lumberjacks. So it's only going to be six lumberjacks. You know, it's going to be Ice Williams, Braxton, and Fresco on one side. And then we have Hero Lou. We have Shogun. And we have a mystery lumberjack. (laughs) that will be appearing at the show to even the odds up against the faction. That's, you know, I think uh, in terms of the stories that have been going on, um, that's been a very interesting thing to follow is that, you know, the faction and, and Chris Bay, um, just the interactions and the, the tension that has been presented there. Um, when you think of a guy like Watson, how much do you look at him from where you first saw him to where he's come to now 
in terms of his abilities. And do you think in that particular group, because there are so many mouthpieces, that Watson is kind of that, um, oh, guys, you know, the thug, the bodyguard, the the silent killer in the background. Do you think Watson um, needs a little bit more of a voice at some point? Well, in that group, it's hard to get, you know, a word in edgewise before when it was Braxton, but now you got Ice, and Ice out talks Braxton. So, and, and Fresco gets his little bit in, and as seen, you know, when I did his, uh, you know, the Fresco show, uh, you know, he has a good personality, you know, yeah. and in a different world, you know, he'd be a mouthpiece for, for somebody. But right now, he just kind of, you know, bides his time. You know, he's involved in most of the tag matches. And he'll say a little something, something. So, as you know, the perfect description of Watson is that silent assassin, that he's a guy who, you know, carries the big stick, but, you know, keeps the very low profile. And, you know, he's a guy a lot of people believe could be, the breakout wrestler of that group, you know, and it started a couple of years ago when, you know, he was trained by guys like Hammerstone and, and Graves. And then they kind of put him under their wing early on. And he got a lot of recognition in uh, Arizona. And I remember when we brought him up, I was like, yeah, you know, he's pretty green to me. He's, I'm not that impressed. Like at the time, my comparison to him was a Shogun who had less time in. Right. And again, I felt Shogun was way further along. And he was, because when Shogun came to training, he was working with 20 other guys, and he got a chance to make himself a lot better. You know, no yeah. disrespect, but, you know, now that Dom's doing some good things in Phoenix, the running joke is, you know, there, there's not a lot of great talent in Phoenix. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, that's why a guy like, Graves really picks and chooses in Hammerstone, you know, they're more regulars in Vegas than they are in Phoenix. Right. You know, obviously with Dom running, they, those guys are tight and they're trying to make, you know, the PCW out there, you know, a big deal. And they had a great draw for their first show back. And we, we, we've had some discussions about doing some things with them because who does Dom go to when he needs the outside talent? Well, he goes to FSW because he knows that the best talent is there. So a guy like Remy and a guy like Cody and even young guys like the Suavecitos got to be in their young guy battle Royal because there's more talent for him just to pluck from Vegas than guys, you know, obviously he's going to use the people he's training and stuff, but outside there, they're not really enamored with a lot of guys out there. Yeah. I, I, do do you have any kind of ideas or thoughts on why that tends to be in certain areas? Um, you you have a big hub being Phoenix, but yet it's really you know the, there are some good guys that are obviously are coming out of there, but in terms of the overall, why is it that certain towns just don't have that big draw? in terms of, uh, you know, getting talented people, uh, you know, to, to be able to train. Um, 
and is Phoenix is a little bigger than let's say uh, you know a small town in Indiana. Do you think that that mentality though of the small town Indiana of hey we could just do it here and we can be the biggest stars in this town and that's cool by me? Do you think that mentality rubs off sometimes in places like Phoenix or up in like Portland where you know they might have some talent but you really just kind of have guys who don't really passionately want to go after it uh, outside of, you know, being the big shot in their own area. Well, yes, no, maybe so. You know, the thing is, I really believe having, you know, the training facility we have breeds opportunity, Yeah. you know, the thing is, FSW has built its name based on the young talent that has come through the ranks. So a guy like Chris Bay comes from Virginia because he somehow heard about FSW. Jacob Boston Young, Nick Bugatti, they came from Arizona because they didn't believe that the training that was offered in Arizona, now, it didn't even need to be equal. The fact of the matter is, if they were equal, these guys wouldn't give up their lives and their jobs to come to Vegas. So they feel that Vegas was way ahead of being in Arizona to now give up, you know, their, you know, Jake. He lived with his mom at the time, probably 20 years old, whatever. And here's a guy moves to Vegas without a job because he wants to be a wrestler and he's coming to Vegas, and he's coming to FSW. And in Arizona, yeah, there, you know, there was guys like Graves and obviously Hammerstone and now a class. And there, there's a lot of, you know, pretty good talent out there. But I think there, at the time, there really wasn't a go-to place for training. And when you walk into the FSW training facility on any given day, you have a Chris Bay, you have a Matt Vandegrift, you have a Remy Marcel, a Cody, a Damian Drake, you know, a Gregory Sharp, you know, Lacey Ryan when she was there, yeah. you know, all these people that are on the upper echelon of the card that also get a lot of work in California and Arizona. So you also walk in the young talent like the Shoguns and the Hero Lose. And, you know, Nick Xander, whoever, you know, the young tag teams we got, Sky High, whatever. And all these guys are in there, and now you're practicing and you're doing training matches. Well, I always used to, like, goof on Hammerstone because every picture and every video Hammerstone made was in the gym and not the wrestling gym, in the workout gym. And it's like, cool, are you looking to be a bodybuilder or a wrestler? Right. Because I would never see him post anything training-wise of wrestling. And he's the guy who obviously went out there and, you know, improved himself, made himself better. You know, it's also hard for that middle-of-the-road guy to become a guy that people want when there's not a lot of competition in terms of, these guys you know it's easy to say hey where'd you train well i trained at fsw and i got trained by kenny king and i got trained by d'lo brown and sin Bodie and and whatever 
And, you know, these guys, it, it's more, from what I know, like Profit, the guy Profit out there, he's got a ring. So that's where Hammerstone kind of started. Like there isn't really, really training schools at the time. It was just like what guy had a ring and where we could work out and train a bit. And I'm pretty sure they didn't have classes of 14 people, you know, and, and the development is a lot slower than it is because now you got a guy like class. Well, he got put under the wing, but that's one dude. I could name six dudes from Vegas who within that didn't start until the pandemic, you know, Brett, the threat didn't start till June right. of last year. Alexander didn't start till June of last year. And raw Reese, you know, who's getting there, you know, yeah. and a lot of these guys have been doing it for a little more than a year and they're all hungry and they're all mad. They want their matches. And it's like, Hey, your guys aren't ready yet. You know, and that's why we try to insist upon the future shock because us as a company, me putting out the things out there and trying to get to a bigger level every time, we kind of have to di- differentiate because when we make high octane, really a combination of future shock and high octane, you see the difference when we do FSW versus GCW. Yeah. And if you look at the talent of FSW and every guy is top of the line. When you go watch High Octane and we're incorporating some of the younger guys who can can have a great match, but they can also have a shit fest. And the thing is, you're not going to have eight or nine matches that are must-see. Yeah. You know, CW's built up their name that whoever's on that show is a big deal to their fans. Yeah. Well, right now, we have a lot of guys that we utilize that are good. They're not great. They're good. But other than to our hometown fans, they're not must-see at all. You know, that's why when we look at our iPay-per-views and things like that, when we do the Mecca, obviously, it doubles or triples the buys we get from doing a locally-based Samstown show that we used to do. Right. Now, exception was the anniversary show. It was the first big one in a while. And we were pretty similar to the first Natural Born Killers with Cross and Moxley. That we we did enough buys on that one that it was pretty impressive over a two-night stay. And we really didn't bring in names on that one. EC3 was there. But the rest were mainly homegrown talent and guys from the area. Yeah. You know, and we also saw that when we did the show with like Leo Rush and Trey Lamar changing the game when uh, GCW was in town, we had a good draw and we had, you know, a good pay-per-view thing, you know. So but we far exceeded the buys with FSW GCW. Yeah. Oh, that was because of their influence and their fan base where in all honesty, they really didn't promote it as much as they promote their own stuff that who knows if they really pounded, you know, the shares and the likes and the tweets and all that other stuff, you know, we did far better as we saw that room has never been as packed as it was since that first natural born killer show. Yeah. You know, 
literally utilized every seat possible and there was still 30 people standing in the corner watching yeah. so you know we squeezed every motherfucker we can get into that place and you know what it, it was well worth it you know and i'm looking to do it again but again it was good for gcw it was good for business for them they're building that vegas market well now a lot of our fans are going to want to go to their show like they drew really well but they did they were in an 800 seater you know they were at beat las vegas they probably you know three four hundred more more three than four yeah. you, you know what i mean and it's like same thing with us where we're getting the outside fan base from somebody in New York, Chicago, Pittsburgh, who likes Effie and wanted to see him kill Disco Inferno, you know, or, hey, this Jay Vidal is awesome, right. you know, or whatever it is, you know, where where Cody got to be on the national spotlight scene for pretty much the first time. And, you know, to the traditionalists, they probably hated that match. <laughs> All it was was it was a death match. And, you know, I thought it was exciting. You know, I'm not going to say, hey, it was a great match. It was exciting. It was entertaining. My favorite part was uh, Shibata doing the Nick Gage entrance. (laughs) It was like, he looked like he was legitimately shitting his pants that if he fucked up, Nick Gage would have put a light tube through his head. (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) I've never seen Josh so intense. Yeah. Yeah. It was the most energy I think I've ever seen a ring announcer put into anything on top of man. That. Yeah. Um, and, and then I heard uh, Joey was saying they were going over it in the back. Like, I guess it's a pretty big deal for Nick Gage. You know what I mean? And the but crowd loved it. And the man is standing right next to you, which I'm sure you're right. He was probably shitting his pants because you know Gage has got that pizza cutter on him right there and then, so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, with, with the upcoming High Octane, um, you have some matches planned out, like you said. Um, you have the tag team match. Is is that a tag team title match for... Uh, of course, yeah. Read the flyer, will ya? And just yeah. re- Just reiterating, just want to make sure... You know, you guys got the pre-show to go through. Make sure you get it right. Well, we we will. We will. As soon as, uh, you know, as soon as Dave uh, gives us all the information, which we should have soon. Um, but Yeah, you should have it at least 10 minutes before you go on and film. <laughs> uh, hey, man, I'm, I, I'll be happy with five minutes before. I just want something. Um, let me ask you, with... The Suavecitos, uh, has it been a combination of their work increasingly getting better and the fact that even though it might be a little bit, uh, you know, annoying as we tend to joke about their way that they're always pitching themselves, but at the same time, they're showing that passion and, and drive that they want to you know, get better by having these bigger matches and, and working with more experienced guys. Is that something that you take into consideration uh, where you look at that combination of growing talent plus passion and desire 
does that sometimes equal the key to opportunity for you? Well, the thing is, yeah, they're, they're always improving. They're always getting better. But the main thing is the fact that they've embraced the hatred, you know, initially like Danny, especially Danny, like he was mad that, you know, they were baby faces and the crowd didn't like them. And, and I know deep down that bothered him. You know what I mean? And it was like, hey, this is what we got to do. And once they did that, they became, you know, musty TV. It's like they come out there and the crowd's engaged. And for a young team, you know, that's the most difficult thing to get people to like believe in you, think you guys have a shot. Because the bottom line is Death Proof has been doing it and winning for years, whether it was singles, whether it's been a tag. Jacob Austin Young and Cody have been extremely successful for many years, you know, and the Suavecitos haven't. So if you look at it just like this and say Death Proof versus Suavecitos, well, Death Proof should be, and rightfully so, a very heavy favorite to win that match. Right. You know, they're they've been together on and off for seven, eight years. Suavecitos, you know, they, they've only been wrestling on shows for maybe a year. So to have a team like that go into that match as big underdogs, the crowd desperately wants to see these guys get their ass beat. And lately they've been kind of on a roll and then, you know, they've been winning the matches you know, they, they won the six-man tag with Death Proof and Thomas Day on the other side, you know, and that has made, if we did that match, which we probably did six months ago, eight months ago, nah, I think that was when the Suavecitos were supposed to be baby faces, right? too, and they got booed out of the building. Or they didn't get cheered at all, and it was just indifference probably more indifference than booed out of the building on that show, you know, because yeah. they were going to be rooting for, for death. Proof. And now it's kind of like that FSW GCW thing, man, you, you, you're really behind this team. So you really want to see this team get their ass beat. And of all the young tag teams right now, that's, that's the best matchup for a high octane with death proof and the Suavecitos right now, because they've kind of got the momentum going and you know it it's a match people are going to pay attention to right to where eight months ago that might have been the first or second match on the show and everybody expects death proof to thump them and they probably did and now they're you know they're a different team now yeah so let's and also let's see how they react in a match that big you know this is the biggest match in their careers right you know win or lose it's their job to impress you know if they go out there and they have what danny likes to say a banger they now have that footage to pass on to other companies like best of the west that uses death proof yeah and you know wac in california that uses death proof and and whatever it is it, it it can rise their stock and that's what they really need to do at this point. And it, for you, is that a good example too of um, where 
a talent or a team from getting experience on future shocks, then that's kind of that mesh we see on high octane where you have a team like Suavecitos who has been working hard and now they're getting a little bigger opportunity on that high octane stage where you can have a nice match like that kind of come together. Whereas on, on a future shock, you probably won't have death proof. It would be the Suavecitos right now being more of a seasoned team for the younger guys. Is that pretty much how it kind of works between the, the two, a high octane and future shock? really sure about that with the Suavecitos because they're still young you know sky high maybe on the borderline of working some of those younger guys because they're kind of like the tweeners in that yeah. you know they're above that list and they're right around you know underneath the top guys so they're kind of like 1A or a B plus and those other guys are trying to get there whether it's you know greatness and tenacious or Nick and Chase the heart and soul list mixed in with the other teams, which are like Sky High, Suavecitos, Creature Feature. You know, you got those three. And then underneath them, you know, always looking to bring in teams, but we got so many. But we also can't do, you know, how many times are we going to do Suavecitos versus Sky High? Right. You know what I mean? It's like it gets tiresome. You know, you, you everybody needs fresh blood. They need people to wrestle. And that's kind of the idea of, using Toko Uso and hoping the unguided come back. And remember, we haven't even used R&B since after the anniversary show. Right. It's, you know, they've taken a well-needed break, you know, from things. Um, try to use them at the GCW show. They were, they were already booked. So the idea is, you know, let, let's give them time. You know, they're, they're the team that if we really need a young team to look good, and work an experienced team, RMB would be that team right now. Yeah. Because I'm not sure, or I'm pretty positive the Suavecitos aren't going to bring the best out of heart and soulless Nick and Chase. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like they're still working on their own game. RMB has been doing it for years, so they're confident enough in their ability, you know, to wrestle Ricky and, and Brandon G and, and those younger teams and, and try to elevate them to, to, to becoming an improving team to where they are talked about in the mix for the tag titles. And you're like, yeah, they got no shot. Cause you know that, you, you know, people watch and there's like, ah, oh, you know, nobody thinks Brandon G is going to beat Remy Marcel. Right. You know, it's, it's the way it is, you know, and sometimes there's these conversations like, well, yeah, you know, it's predictable. It's like, yeah, sometimes it needs to be. Right. You know, you know, I'm trying to get Brandon G work, and I'm trying to get you a win. So it helps out both parties. Right. If this guy can do well against the guy who's here when he's here, that maybe bumps him up a little, makes people take notice. And the thing is, we got so many guys. So, you know, it's always mixing and matching. Like right now, I legitimately have, I believe, six matches for uh, Friday night. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to add one because at Future Shock, I have already penciled in uh, Heart and Solace against Greatness and Tenacious. There you go. There's a match for that weekend. 
And at Survival of the Fittest, September 24th, we want to do a gauntlet tag match to where there's four teams and whatever, four or five teams, but whoever gets to the end of the gauntlet gets death proof. Death proof doesn't get just thrown in. Yeah. You have to earn the opportunity to wrestle death proof. Well, the idea is we're going to have the two youngest teams, Greatness and Tenacious, wrestle Heart and Solace, and the winner gets a spot in that gauntlet match. So I'm thinking we have room for a match. Why not do a preview the week before, which could be, and Brandon's probably still recovering a little, so I would rather use Ricky anyway. Yeah. So it'll be Ricky versus either Nick Xander or Chase Bell. A good little setup. You know, Brandon G will be at ringside. The other guy will be at ringside. And whatever happens, happens. But it'll be a little precursor to them wrestling in a tag match. So that so it, it also, you know, it's a win-win for them to get more acquainted with the team they're going to wrestle the next week. It's also another match that we need on the show that is also telling a story right. that people can engage in. And, you know, one leads into the other into the other. You know, sometimes nothing's, you know, it isn't always, always explained. And people don't know where it's going. Well, for the fans, that's the way it should be. Right. And for the wrestlers, you know, if you're not there at training or you don't see me or you don't message me on Messenger and ask what's going on, why the fuck would you know what's going on? You know, I know people, they show up like, oh, I didn't know. Well, it was like, well, maybe you should have been in the uh, at training one of these days this week. Right. And you would, you're on the show. You know, I, I, it's not my job. You know, one of the guys this week, I'm like, hey, you know, yo, dudes. Oh, you know, I just wanted to let you know I was only there four times this month. <laughs> okay. And that's your choice. Like, you're paying for monthly, monthly dues. Now, if you got hurt in training, and didn't be able to train for three weeks, well, then I would hold off the three weeks. If you chose to go do something else, that yeah. it's not my responsibility to be aware. I have no idea that you were there four times because you just told me you were. Yeah. If you were nine times, I wouldn't have known. So that's not my job. My job is not to keep track of when you're going to be there. If you need to take time off because you're going away for a month, well, you better let me know instead right. of, I see you at the at training, and I say, "Oh, you have dues." Oh, I haven't been here this month. Really? How do I know this? You 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 never let me know you were not going to be here, right? You know. So, and again, that becomes the issue of running a school and running the promotion. And unfortunately, they they have to you know they have to interact, and it would be it would be a much easier world. If one was one and the other was the other. Yeah. Because too many expectations on these guys because they're trainees and feel that they're owed something because they give money. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I think back to uh, going to college, right, you, you paid for your tuition for the, uh, the semester. If I decided not to go to the math class because I wasn't interested in math, I would fail that class. I would still have paid the money for that class. And on top of it, I would have to take that class again before I'm 
you know, at a point where I'm going to get a degree. And I think that, you know, they lose that factor because of the fact that in wrestling, the way you get better is to get matches and school and shows kind of tie into each other because of that. And it's very interesting, that perspective of, well, I was only here for X. It's like, yeah, and you know what? You're going to keep paying dues for the next five years if you keep that pace up. And that's what I don't think they, you know, it doesn't sink in. It's like, the more you can come, the more you can do it, the more you learn, the faster you progress, then you're, you're, starting to cut away those dues to the point where eventually you're not going to have to be paying, but you could be stuck paying, you know, if you, if you pay every month for the next five years of your life, because you ignored the fact that you didn't put in the work, that's on you. That's not on yeah, Joe. We, we had guys like that, that would, you know, they'd show up and they paid for three or four months. Then they disappeared for five and they came back for three and they left for two and they came back for four and they never got matches. And when they were around, they paid. But, yeah. you know, the bottom line was, hey, you know, I've been I've been training here for four years. And it's like, yeah, and pretty much two of them you never showed up for if you actually add up the time. Yeah. You know, and you're basically starting at the beginning again when you're you, you weren't when you first started you weren't good enough to get matches and four years later you're still not good enough to get matches yep. he actually get one match it was one of the worst matches in fsw history it was at uh sunset park where the idea was to use a lot of the younger guys and you know spotlight fsw and after the show i was like fuck if i watched this i would never go to that show that was oh, a visit. Wow. When uh, there was a few bad there was a few bad ones, but that one was by far the worst. Was that uh was that one of the ones uh that was associated with the uh was it the the Taco Fest or whatever they would do? It it was one of those many years ago. It was at Sunset Park and you know, we did it as a favor and it was like we weren't getting paid to do it. But we figured, ah, there'll be people there. We'll get some exposure. The younger guys who wanted to work, we actually jump-started a Kenny King Greg Romero feud that never, never went to fruition because Kenny couldn't make any shows after the fact that we did some stuff. But yeah, there was these two trainees, and they weren't even gonna have a match. But Kenny saw one of them, and he was like, "Oh yeah, he's been training. Let's give him the match." And we're like, "Oh my God, are you kidding me?" And it was the fucking worst. <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know, when you were just throwing out some stuff there, um, let me just make sure that people know, uh, first of all, FSW Network, six ninety nine a month. Uh, you'll be able to see the High Octane this Friday, September 3rd at 7 p.m. Uh, you'll see Future Shock next Friday, uh, September 10th at uh, 7 p.m. There you go, two shows. Two shows, seven, uh, six ninety nine, seven bucks. It's it's amazing, um, but then on September twenty fourth, you're making the return to uh, Diversion Amusement for Survival of the Fittest. For people who might not be familiar with the concept of Survival of the Fittest, how did that start for you guys, and what is it going to look like uh, on the twenty fourth? Well, the way it started was we were always looking for these 
bigger shows. And we wanted to separate, you know, just like Impact does, WWE does, AEW does. You know, we always knew, you know, the anniversary show was our biggest show. You know, didn't really need to have a name. You know, then we had the concept of, hey, we're going to finally do a steel cage show. Well, we did a match, and it was Alcatraz and Tyshawn Prince, and that was when we were crowning Tyshawn the man, and we called it No Escape. And, you know, at that time, it was the most attended show in FSW history. So why wouldn't we have No Escape next year? Right. Which did, and then we kind of bumped up the idea of three cage matches, and, and we did that. So No Escape became you know, our second big event. Then we had an idea. I had an idea. I always loved the good rumble. And then I liked the name against all odds. So I'm like, Hey, since it's against all odds, how about you have to win the rumble and then you automatically get the title shot in the main event. Now that's truly against all odds. Right. So that's how that concept came to you know, being the guy who actually watched Thanksgiving Day, the very first Survivor Series, I always loved the idea, the macho maniacs and, you know, whatever it was of the teams, I always liked that style. Right. But we also changed it up a little bit. Survival of the fittest, what does it really mean? So we did a Iron Man match, which is a survival of the fittest you know the guy has to be there you know a gauntlet match you have to outlast other people to get there so it's not just survival survivor series type eliminations yeah absolutely they are included in that but then we also try to incorporate other things to make that match you know so at least 75 percent of the matches will be something that if you hear the name survival of the fittest, like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah. You know, like Gregory Sharp and Jay by because of their feud, we're not going to do an Iron Man match. Obviously, you know, there's too much, it's too much of a personal feud that, you know, the idea of what it's going to be, but being as good workers that they are, that would have been the perfect match if Gregory Sharp wasn't a psychotic maniac these days, you, you know what I mean? That I can watch yeah. those guys for 30 minutes and let the best man win. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, and there's a lot of things that have been happening with the MK army and Hammerstone and Graves and that crew, you know what I mean? And, you know, not to give away everything, but, you know, obviously Lights, Camera, Faction and Chris Bay, they've had, you know, some issues. So we would like to probably do something there. Right. Uh, we've been working where Deshade and Strella. And I have an idea now, whether it happens or not or whatever, we're looking at a battle of the sexes, you know. So that would be the other survival type match, you know, and then we talked about, we're going to have a gauntlet tag. And then we may have where I've actually gotten uh, Keita, uh, Keita Murray, who I like a lot. He's going to make, 
his FSW debut. Nick Wayne is coming back. Nice. We're trying to, I'm not sure if it's going to be that, but I'm looking at doing like, you know, a young blood scramble with a bunch of the younger guys where the winner of that scramble, you know, gets a roster spot in FSW, you know? So it's kind of like, okay, Eli Everfly is already a roster guy. Hey, I would kind of like a spot for him. I'd like a spot for Thomas Day. I'd like a spot for Adrian Quest. But, you know, we still have other matches like, you know, what's going on with Remy Marcel in the Nevada State there. Right. You know, he, he's really not in a multi-man, you know, comp, you know, group feud that he would be in a survivor type match. So there's some good names that we're banding about. And I'm 100% honest when I don't know, when I say I don't know exactly where we're going, you know, in, in some of these things, you know. Uh, with MK, I know he's brought in someone who we've used on a couple of occasions that is going to team up at that show and they're going to be a part of it. So, you know, and there's also some women talent that are coming in. So will that mean Sandra Moon defends the title? Will that mean Sandra Moon's in the battle of the sexes? Don't know yet. Right. You, you know what I mean? So it's like trying to finalize everything. And I think after Friday, we'll have more things in check and then we'll be able to make announcements, start putting tickets on sale. I still, you know, I talked to the guy at Diversion you know, we're good to go, but we still have to get the contract and finalize everything. So I need to make sure that's done this week also, because we're also looking at possibly no escape uh, November 27th at Diversion. So we'll we'll see. You know, this is going to be a big week. You know, we, did, we had big shows the week before, then took a week off. And now it's like, you know, really, really back to the grind. Yeah. Um, and one of the uh, shows that will be coming up next month uh, in October, uh, it's going to be October 30th, is the Halloween show. Let me just ask you uh, a little background on that. How did you decide to uh, start doing a Halloween show? And, you know, I think that a lot of fans uh, think it's one of the best shows just because you get to see, you know, your favorite wrestlers on the roster. Um doing some kind of costume and, and having a, a fun time. Uh, what was the concept behind that? And um, is it something that you felt from the start would be something that you'd be doing uh, a yearly once you did the first one? I remember when we did the first one, and I don't know why I came up with the idea of the gimmick battle Royal, but I know I did. And it was like, I remember how some of these guys there was this guy the jefe who used to wrestle for us and he had this makeup artist and he basically had the makeup artist paint his face like crow's thing and it was like amazing that the work that these people put in and i remember we did a gimmick with the ultimate warrior guy uh, this kid kid showtime and basically the gimmick was you know he ran around the ring like 20 times like the warrior and then by the time he got in the ring, he was gassed and he got thrown out in three seconds. <laughs> you know, I think even Funny Bone might have been like CM Punk. Like, I'd have to go see the very first ones. And, you know, who was Chris Jericho? And first and foremost, 
most reasons people want to be wrestlers is because they love wrestling. Right. You know, you don't really get many people who are like, I hate wrestling, but I think I could be a good wrestler. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, how many people you know that are professional wrestlers never really watch wrestling? Sure, maybe a football player, but when you're talking about localized guys that are training to wrestle, you know, almost all of them are big fans. Some are super fans and they have no knowledge of what the athleticism is going to be involved and they wash out in a week. Yeah. But when we saw, and the crowd loved it, it'd be like Leon Hader always did a, a great Howard Finkel imitation. So he was the ring announcer and he would be ringing and, you know, announcing from parts unknown. And, you know, it would be the ultimate warrior and he would say it just like Finkel. And it was great. And the crowd, it, it it was like a 30-minute intro for everybody because everybody got their own intros. Right. You know, you got 25 guys because everybody wanted to do it. I remember uh, Damian Drake's first match might have been uh, as Jeff Hardy, you know, and he had the gloves and, you know, and he still had, he, he still forgot to, uh, you know, take off his, uh, his fingernail, his finger polish. You know, he still has it on from 2015, <laughs> you know. But the crowd loved it so much, it really wasn't even like a thought the next year to do it, you know? Yeah. And the very first one, I know for a fact, we did at Boulder Highway at the old school. So that would mean, at worst, we've done it for eight or nine years. And I remember a few years ago, we had less students, more guys were established, and I wasn't going to do it anymore. You know, two, three years ago, it was like, yeah, we're going to – we're going to retire the thing. And then a couple people would hit me up like, Hey, is it cool if I go as Hulk Hogan? Hey, you know, we, we even got uh, your boy Mach O man to, uh, to be involved, you know, and people seemingly wanted to do it. And now it's kind of had a resurgence over the last few years, but there's a lot of guys who still haven't had a match, but they got to be in the gimmick battle Royal. Yeah. So this year, there's going to be, you know, a good opportunity for some of the guys who've been training a while. They don't have to really do a lot physically in the ring. And they get to get their introduction. And I always joke, the Battle Royal lasts like five minutes and the intros last 25 minutes. Because everybody takes forever to come in and you get to hear your favorite wrestling theme and who's The Rock and who's... You know, I think Spider was John Cena because, you know, it was his idol when he first started, you know, and he had the, you know, he had the hat and he had probably the jorts and, you know, and he did the the thing because, you know, that was, that was Spider's, you know, that was his man crush, you know what I mean? It was John Cena. He was going to be the next John Cena. So it, it's been fun times with that. And then. We added different things. You know, we had a casket match. Right. And, you know, the last one we did for the Halloween show two years ago was uh, two guys that have become big superstars. We got Ring of Honor star Bateman wrestled Cross in a casket match. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we've always prided ourselves on having, you know, the, the fun Halloween show. You know, there's already been talk of uh, coming back New Year's Eve, baby. 
Ring in the new year at FSW Champagne Toast at Midnight. <laughs> it's it, it's just fun uh, to look at, you know, the different concepts revolving around the holidays like that and how receptive the fans are. It's pretty incredible that, you know, something like that, which you said, like, it should run its course after X. But the, the wrestlers and the fans just enjoy it so much that it just naturally seems a good fit. Now, has Joey ever suggested to you that he'd like to film like a graveyard match or something cinematic, uh, being that it's, you know, horror themed and that lends itself very well to doing a cinematic match? Has that ever been something that he's pitched to you? No, he's busy pitching, doing a joint show when uh, Impact comes to town. And I keep brushing him aside. I'm like, why would I want to do that? <laughs> it's like, first off, you know, Impact's going to be here for three days. I'm really having no interest in doing it on a Thursday yeah. just because we got to get the ring up for them. You know, those are three days that I'm extremely busy and not having to do anything for my own show. You yeah. know, I have to be the liaison, the runaround, you know, to do everything for, for helping out with impact. And believe me, it's rewarding for us, but it's a, it's a lot of work. And just doing another show is, is not there. And again, you know, we've done stuff, and I don't think it was for Halloween or whatever, but like Funny Bone and, and Sin Bodhi and things like that, that, yeah, there, you know, there's definitely, you know, on the table on doing stuff, but it has to mean something. It has to be special. Right. You know what I mean, for, for, for people to care, you know, that cinematic thing, it, it better be done right. Or if it isn't, it becomes extremely boring. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you're the first one, when we did the unguided and sky high, you know, we played it before, I think it was cross or Chris Bay watch party. You know what I mean? Right. I, during an event. So it's like, okay, you got to see some wrestling, you got to have some fun, and it was at the Wheel of Misfortune, which was a place where we really wanted to do some different things. So, you know, for Halloween, that's definitely the perfect place to go, you know, yeah. if we want to do something. Like, again, you know, the timing has to, has to matter. You know, Funny Bone is always a guy that, you know, is perfect for that setting. But just to run a random match and say, hey, we're going to do Funny Bone versus Judah Matthew in a graveyard match. Well, yeah, it makes sense with Judah Matthew. I think we did that last Halloween. I think we did do like Funny Bone and Judah because yeah. I thought it would be it would be a fun thing to do. You know yeah. what I mean? You know, the, the demigod of death against the disciple. You know what yeah. I mean? Heaven, heaven versus hell. Heaven and hell. That's right. That's what I think it was. We did a heaven, heaven, heaven versus hell match, which you know, we do one of those at that thing. We did that with Sin and Funny Bone at Samstown, which you know a lot of people thought that year that was the match of the year. You know, yeah. and how many times can you say match of the year and say Sin Bodhi in the same sentence? I'd say zero. But that was one of the best matches, and that was on a Mecca show, I believe. Or was it the anniversary show? But it was by far one of the best matches of the night. Yeah. 
Yeah, it might have been the anniversary show, um, but it absolutely was one of the best matches, and I probably one of the best matches that both of them have had, you know, in their long careers. Um, as we start to wrap up, uh, let me ask you: when you look at um, when you look at Hammerstone and how he's having a lot of success around the country right now um does something like that where you can see you know him having to pick up more dates because he's getting more popularity does that ever interfere with the thinking of okay maybe we're going to have to switch the belt at some time just because the wrestler who holds a certain title is getting more dates around the country which makes it absolutely harder to make more dates for the Vegas shows. Is that something that you've dealt with and something that you have to consider when you have, um, you know, a be- any type of belt on someone? Yeah, absolutely. We have to deal with it, but that, that taking the belt off somebody when we don't think there is another person ready for it, that, that, that's a desperation move. Yeah. So for example, we had planned to do survival of the fittest on September 25th. Well, when I hit up Hammerstone, he couldn't do September 25th, but he could do September 24th. So it was an easy move to make as much as he's getting booked up. He's always got some free dates. So if I, I will maneuver my dates. If we're trying to get a big match with Chris Bay, we're trying to get a big match with Hammerstone you know, things like that, where those guys are hard to get. So I hit up Hammerstone. Hey, you available the third this week? No, I can't. I'm booked. Okay, well, I'm not going to get him for future shock, but I know I got him for the 24th. Right. Now, I'm not too worried about Hammerstone for the Halloween show, but in October, he can't make the show on the 9th because he's booked. But... I gave him a couple of dates. I said, hey, in November, we're looking to do a big show. And he happened to say he was available. I'm like, hey, trying to get the Saturdays. That's always a preference if we could. Right. And it was like, hey, the 13th, the 20th, the 27th. And uh, we knew the 6th was no good because I had already seen MLW had their tapings that week. So we knew it was one of those three weeks. Then it turned out he was already booked the 13th. Then we found out Impact was uh, going to be out here November 19th, 20th, and 21st, but their second month in a row being out here in Vegas for a taping. So he said he was available the 27th. And it's like, I never gave him the 27th because it was after Thanksgiving, but it's like, it's two days after Thanksgiving. No big deal. So he's available for the 27th. So I lock him in for that. And then he had mentioned that he was available November 12th, not the 13th. So... That's where the high octane comes in. So now we got the two shows in the month of November, which granted it's three months out, which is a little longer than I have to plan, but I have no problem planning a show five months from now if the date works and if a guy can make it. But right now into Hammerstone, I'm into November. And now we gotta go, you know, see what's in in December. And you know, like the 24th, it won't be a heavyweight championship title defense. It, it'll be a match with, you know, his crew and, and MK's crew finally all aligning and, and being involved. 
in a match, whether it's a three-on-three or a four-on-four. You know, Hammerstone and Graves are on one side. You know what I mean? And the question becomes, well, do they add a third guy? You know, the you know the bullies have a lot of friends so you know i wouldn't be surprised to see you know a guy like gallo or dom you know who they're really tight yep. you know i'm pretty sure hammerstone and graves you know aren't going to pick somebody that they don't really associate with in fsw they're going to want to associate with somebody that they know has their back and they trust and and, and that which gives more opportunities to some other people who we haven't seen too often uh last time we saw dom was because we had a survival of the fittest match against uh bay sefa and shogun yeah and the problem was that was the big setup and then hammerstone got the opportunity to wrestle in japan and there was no question that that motherfucker wasn't taking fsw booking that day you know we had to adjust and you know so it became a little more difficult with the main guy on that heel team. But he was the guy, Hammerstone, and he wasn't going to be there. So it, it kind of unfortunately brought the, uh, the match down a notch just because as good as Dom is, Dom the Bomb, you know, he wasn't really known here. You know, yeah. he hadn't wrestled in a long time. In FSW, same thing with Gallo, where we kind of brought him back. He kind of got hurt. He had work, you know, whatever. And you know, Gallo is definitely, you know, a great guy to have around. Yeah. You know, he he's the guy that me and him beefed over at the CAC show many years ago. And you know, I'd see him at CAC, and it was like that'd be about it because I thought something, he thought something, and then. You know, we would start liking stuff on the Facebook posts or whatever. And, you know, we came to the agreement that we both agreed on a lot of things, you know, when it came to the younger guys. And now I love Gallo. So it's like, you know, you always want to keep people that, you know, and again, he's done good business. You know, we had some issues many years ago at the Nugget. You know, there's a, you know, that's its own story. maybe one day we'll get delved into about using the uh, IZW crew in FSW. I'd really like to hear more about it because I've heard little bits and pieces. They fucked us over. They didn't fuck us over. They, they, there was a lot of chaos that was going on. It was, it was the day Derek Nykirk was supposed to become the FSW champion. And in turn, Mike Modest became the FSW champion. Okay. So, yeah, you know, that was a, that was a very weird 48-hour period in uh, the history of FSW. Yeah, you know what? I'll uh, I'll look to see. Uh, maybe we can get something together because uh, I think that IZW just announced recently that they're running November, I believe. So, um, you know, maybe we can uh, get some stories uh, going and. You know, talk. We could talk. Bit. You could talk to Navajo about how he broke his leg in uh, Russia's shitty ring over in the UWF when we were doing. I, which is a story I told with Gallo, where Boom Boom Kamini and Gallo refused to tag him in, and somehow the nine-minute match went thirty. You know, yeah, um, yeah. We're, we're. I. I don't know if we've ever told that story from Navajo's perspective. 
Um, so that that might be something we we haven't had Navajo on with you too. So maybe we can uh, get him on for a little bit one of these uh, upcoming days uh, because Navajo and his job uh, the, they have the uh, new uh, WWE 2K game coming out soon. So uh, oh yeah, and a lot, you know guys like Bay and uh, TJ and I remember like. Lance Hoyt and Davari and Ricker, but Tyshawn, you know, that, that was when maybe he knows the story better. You know, when Tyshawn got fucked up, that was when he basically ended his career. He got knocked off the top rope and instead of landing inside the ring, he landed outside the ring and, you know, he's made some inklings. You need to get Tyshawn on the show. I've reached out and, uh, you know what, if you want to reach out as well and see, um, you know, it's yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, there was some great history there, and he is a WWE Hall of Famer. I mean, an FSW Hall of Famer. <laughs> hey, <laughs> what? Um, as we as we uh, end it here, um, is there anything that uh, you know has been going on with um? your Mets that uh, you think you, if you were the general manager or the manager could uh, change uh, their season and get them back into first place. You know what? They got people that they needed to. They got Lindor. He had a shitty season, you know, uh, the Grom gets hurt. Like he always does. You know, he's the only guy who has ERAs under two that somehow, barely win more games than he loses yeah you know and again i'm i'm not inside i don't know what's going on but why do you need to take the guy out with a one nothing lead after five innings can he go seven you know if he's gone seven can he go eight like how about he gets in trouble you know when i grew up watching people you know pitchers used to throw complete games and then it became guys like you know you, you, you try to get that pitcher to the eighth, you know, through eight innings and you'd bring in goose gossage and you'd bring in these closers that would shut the door. And now it's like teams carry 14 pitchers instead of 10 because these guys are going in and out for one batter, one batter, one batter. And, you know, Syndergaard, he's been, he's been out again for the whole year and, you know, Strowman's been all right. Like they got pitchers. They they went out and got talent. If the talent doesn't go out and produce, it, it's hard. It's hard to blame the GM for signing Lindor for the big contract because the guy has been a perennial All Star. Yeah. And who's halfway through the season, he's going to be hitting two oh five. You know, and then all the other guys who had good years that their younger talent didn't do much. Like Alonzo got hot later. Like it's like the Yankees. Well, when the Yankees were hot, all their big guns like Stanton now is killing the ball, Yeah, you know, and judge, but these guys get hurt or they go in slumps that take two weeks and they can't win a game. And baseball's weird these days, man. It's like, Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a shot up the middle. That's a hit. Oh, they, they have the shift on. You know, if I was a manager, like I was lefty, everybody would always shift me just because I was lefty, which was weird because they didn't shift anybody who was righty. Right. They always shifted the lefties. So I would step to the side and I would try to hit the ball to left field because nobody was there, especially in softball. 
In baseball, oh, yeah. there wasn't really much of a shift. In softball, people would shift you all over the place. Yeah. More importantly, it's football season, and Cam Newton got released. Holy fuck. Yeah, that was shocking, man. Um, I, I think the writing was on the wall. They brought him back last year. I thought, man, he's going to the Patriots. He's really healed up. He is going to kill it. Like, that's a guy that I could have thought would be the MVP. And he just isn't the same guy anymore. And they went out and they drafted the quarterback. And you know what? They saved themselves $10 million by getting rid of Cam. And if this guy's your future, you're going to ride him or die him anyway. Why would you need Cam Newton as a a $13 million backup? You pay him his three, let him go elsewhere, and – you know, there's enough mediocre backup quarterbacks. Yeah. And if the guy plays well, great. You got your quarterback for 15 years. Who knows? If you can get Tua when uh, somehow the Dolphins trade for a guy who can't play this year in Deshaun Watson. <laughs> yeah, which that's another thing that, that Deshaun Watson controversy is unbelievably, you know, it seems like it, it takes a back seat. Now it's at the front seat. Now it takes a back seat in the front seat. And what do you do if you're a team? Um, do you just you just take the shot and if they like let him go? I didn't realize that really or playing at all, like they were going to sit him out this year if they didn't trade him. But my thinking is, okay, if the Texans who have him won't play him, but if they trade him to the Dolphins, the Dolphins are going to make them make him their number one quarterback. Like, I'm pretty sure the Texans know something big is going to explode. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I guarantee you they're throwing out, oh, they want uh, three first-round draft picks and two second-round draft picks. I think that's all showboating, and they'll get rid of them for far less. Yeah. But if they start really high, they may still get way more than they want for them. And, you know, again, they were so high to Dolphins. They drafted. They moved up to get Tua. He's a rookie, bro. It's like back in the day, rookies didn't play till the second or third year. Look at Aaron Rodgers. Even Mahomes sat out one full year. Yeah. And last year, Fitzpatrick was better than Tua, and he should have quarterbacked the whole season. And they had a chance to make the playoffs. So it's like, why are you putting the other guy in? He's got all next year to do it. You know, yeah. you're good. Let let him learn from, uh, especially Fitzpatrick, who was a great. That with Alex Smith and Mahomes, you know, I'm pretty sure Mahomes would have did pretty well if he started his first year. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, it is uh, getting to the time where we're going to wrap up and uh, say goodbye till next week. Uh, Joe, any final thoughts for uh, the listeners? Well, yeah, you can uh, listen to me now every Sunday morning on KDWN or whatever it is, 720, on the Mark Hoke Show. I guess I was so impressive as a guest uh, a guest host, I guess you could say, that, uh, you know, he was so excited. He came down to the school and made me an offer I can't refuse. So I guess I'm a permanent host, except when I – wake up past eight o'clock and I can't do it, which has happened uh, on two occasions. One was after the vaccine where I forgot all about it and slept right through it. And the other one, I gave him notice 
And it was the wrong day, though. I, I messaged him on Friday night late, and I said, it was after midnight, so technically it was Saturday. And I texted, and I said, hey, bro, I got, like, four shows. There's no way I'm going to be able to do it tomorrow, which I thought was Saturday morning. It was Sunday morning, but it was really Saturday. And then when I was trying to get up on Sunday morning, I'm like, ah, hey, he's already got the message, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to lay in bed a little longer. But it's fun talking other stuff than just – you know, a lot of FSW stuff. It's talking what's going on in the, uh, I guess you could say the real world of um, professional wrestling, you know, the AEWs and the WWEs. So it's a lot of fun and they, uh, they let me talk a lot. So there's three guys and I think I talk the most. So that's, and I get paid per word. So I'm doing good. <laughs> well, everyone, uh, if you uh, can get the chance to do it, check it out. Um, you know, listen, the more Joe out there, the better. So, Sin, Sin Bodhi heard it on the way home. He didn't know I was doing anything. <laughs> me. He says that was perfect for me. I have a face for radio. <laughs> and that's coming from Sin. So, yes. <laughs> All right, everyone. Remember, FSW Network 699. Sign up. Uh, you'll see High Octane this Friday at 7 p.m. Uh, uh, West Coast time, and then uh, of course you get another free show essentially in Future Shock the week after on Friday the tenth. And uh, next week for our show, we should have uh, Remy Marcel uh, on. If if not, let me know. We'll get somebody good instead. Uh, Remy, those were his words, not mine. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not me, bro. It's not me. Um, but everyone, thank you for tuning in, and uh, please. Uh, Support FSW, support the Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting, and we'll see you guys next time.